Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We're gonna be starting a mini series with the goal of tackling perhaps the greatest challenge that parents and yes, grandparents are facing right now in today's world. And that is, how do you reach the second generation with a lasting faith? And you're gonna hear me quote an awful lot from Pope Benedict XVI. And it's to me quite surprising in that Pope Benedict is an absolute gold mine for parents who are challenged by the secular culture. It's almost like his teaching about young people, how to reach them and how to actually address them and where to point them has been overlooked by so many. So in any case, you'll hear me quoting a lot from Pope Benedict and here's something he said right off the top he was very concerned with our highly secularized culture that there's emerging a widespread failure to transmit the faith to the coming generation. And he described the crisis as an educational emergency. Now, Pope Benedict isn't an alarmist, but when he pulls the fire alarm, so to speak, for our children and grandchildren saying, we have an educational emergency. Well, what do you do in an emergency? You drop whatever you're doing and you focus on resolving the emergency. And that's what really what parents need to do and realize that if it's an emergency, we just don't neglect the alarm that's being sounded, but we do something different. We at least add something in addition to what's being done in order to pass on the faith successfully so that it lasts with our children and grandchildren. Here's what Pope Benedict XVI said in 2006, quote, we are responding to the widespread concern of many believing families who fear in today's social and cultural context that they may not succeed in passing on to their children the precious heritage of the faith. Various aspects of this educational task have become very difficult, but for this very reason, it is even more important and especially urgent. And so I would urge you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, concerned about today's world, and I know many of you listening have already experienced a teenager or a young adult raised in the faith, catechized, sent to Catholic schools, and so many by the tens of thousands have abandoned the faith. In fact, it's a majority of Catholic youth raised in the church have walked away from their faith. And this isn't something that's just happening with Catholics, but it's particularly acute with Catholics since that the rate of church dropout amongst Catholics is twice that of Protestants. 
So we should be on the alert. We should be focused that we have an educational emergency. And one of the things in an emergency, in fact, it's not that I like bad things to happen, but one of the things that I was trained for, for instance, in firefighting, what do you do in that particular emergency? And rather than panic, you should have a very clear plan and guidance on what you're supposed to do. You know, in the Navy, you have to go to a firefighting school before they let you on a ship. We were on a newly commissioned ship, so our entire crew went to San Diego for firefighting school. Well, lo and behold, I can remember we were at sea. And see, when you're at sea um, and you have a fire, it's pretty serious. You can't walk out in the front lawn until the fire department comes because you're self-contained. You're there. And I can remember there was a fire not too far from our office. And what you're trained to do is bring two fire extinguishers to the scene. And uh, one is because you get the fire 99% out. But if you leave any of it going, it'll come right back up. And then you'll do the same thing with your second fire extinguisher and the fire will come back up. So that's why you get two fire extinguishers on scene and then you put out the fire. So I heard the fire alarm and I knew from the geographic location in the ship where it was located, ran there and there's a bunch of guys just sitting there or standing there actually and staring at the fire. And we were all trained what to do. How do you yell, go get some extinguishers? You know, we put the fire out and everything. Everything was good. But as parents, number one, we need to have a plan. What are we going to do? Yeah, we can say, woe is me. And you watch the news. You see what's happening in our culture. And you might panic or you might just try to bury your head in the sand, pretend it's not going on. But whatever, what we do need is a plan. So, first of all, you need to know what the challenge is and where the younger generation, the second generation, goes astray. There's a passage from the Old Testament that's absolutely key for this, and you may have never heard a homily, a broadcast, a book, an article on this, but it's from the book of Judges. And just so you know, In the book of Judges, it describes how everything went wrong with passing on the faith to the children of Israel after Moses and Joshua died. Here's how it goes. In Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord. And then Joshua, he died being 110 years old. And then all that generation that knew Joshua went to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So they didn't know the Lord in that firsthand experience that Joshua had and the leaders who served with Joshua. And so what happened to that next generation? The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, false gods. And they forsook the God of their fathers and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them. In other words, 
they succumbed to religious peer pressure and followed the peoples around them, and they didn't have internally that impact of the living generation for the works of God. They didn't have it in them, so they basically had the influence surrounding them became their life pattern, and as a result, boom, decline, judged by God. God sent a deliverer. They come back up and do the same thing again. But here's the takeaway. Whoever's going to lead your family, and I'm talking to you, mom and dad, along with whoever is catechizing your children, teaching them, whoever's working with your teens, whoever's pastoring your parish, they must have experienced a first-hand encounter with God. That is key. To pass it on, you have to have this encounter. Now, Joshua was a second-generation man who had passed on his encounter with God to another generation. Really, what we just read from Judges was a third generation because all this started with Moses. Joshua was his assistant, and then Moses passed baton on to Joshua. So what's the key here? Again, this is really important, but you don't hear too much about this. This is from Exodus 33. It says that Moses went into the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. Now, this was something, this wasn't a tabernacle, maybe kind of like an early version of it, but Moses would go into this tent and meet with God, and the pillar of cloud, the glory cloud, the presence of God would come down and stay at the entrance of this tent while the Lord spoke with Moses. And all the people stood and worshiped at their own tents while Moses was in there. And it says, then Moses would return to the camp. Now, here's a half verse that we don't pay attention to that every parent needs to hear, every teacher needs to hear, every youth leader needs to hear. But his younger aide, Joshua, did not leave the tent. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, Joshua did not leave from the middle of the tent. In other words, when Moses would go in to have his firsthand encounter with God, Joshua was with him. And when Moses went back out, Joshua not only participated with Moses, but he stayed there. It was almost like a, um, uh, a rough equivalent today would be almost like a perpetual Eucharistic adoration or something. He was very close to God, and he had an encounter with the living God, okay? Now we're going to bring this into the 21st century with Pope Benedict. And he said this, this is so incredibly important, and believe me, people who are leaders of the American renewal movements have sometimes neglected these statements of Pope Benedict. Hear them carefully. The Christian faith is not only a matter of believing that certain things are true, but above all, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is 
an encounter with the Son of God that gives new energy to the whole of our existence. When we enter into a personal relationship with him, Christ reveals our true identity, and in friendship with him, our life grows towards complete fulfillment. So in other words, the Christian faith isn't memorizing or learning religious facts, okay? It's not only that. I mean, that's a part of it, and I definitely want content of the faith taught in detail, and yes, even memorized, as unpopular that is. But most of all, it is an encounter with the Son of God. Moses had it, and he passed it on, and the children of Israel did pretty well while he was around, despite their ups and downs. And then when Moses left, you know that most organizations— secular and religious, have a very difficult time passing things on to the next generation. But there wasn't a drop of the baton between Moses and Joshua, because Joshua also had his personal encounter with God. And it was so intense that those who served with Joshua, the elders of Israel, and even those men who outlived him, maintained the health of ancient Israel until they passed away, and then lots of trouble started. So the question for us today, I'm talking about myself, a religious broadcaster, any pastor listening, any deacon listening, any parent, grandparent, teacher, youth worker, listen to the question from a seminarian in Australia, and I've been reading to you some of the quotations from Pope Benedict during his World Youth Day in Australia. These are a goldmine. You could write a book on his homilies and teaching there. But he had this Q&A session, and a seminarian asked Pope Benedict, how can we live the gifts of the Holy Spirit here in our country and in our daily lives in such a way that our relatives, friends, and acquaintances feel and experience his power? How can we exercise our mission as Christ witnesses? Now, you have a pope, and you might just think, well, maybe he got all excited someday. I don't think he did. I think it was a very careful analysis of the contemporary world. The Catholic parents are in a emergency situation and passing the faith on. And here the seminarian says, well, how how can we pass on an encounter with the living God? It was the right question, because this is the key. If you don't have this, and you have information and projects and programs and such, I'm afraid it's not going to hold up to the pressures of the 21st century. So, the next sentence I'm about to read is worth its weight in gold. It's very simple, but heat it. Here we go. And I'm quoting, I would simply say, no one can give what he does not personally possess, unquote. You see, preparation for teaching the faith, for passing on the faith, and I'm sure most parents listening have read books on child rearing. They've read books on teaching your children about the faith. They've listened to broadcast about that. But bottom line, you can't give what you don't personally possess. 
In other words, you can read a book of somebody who might possess that encounter with God, but it doesn't mean you possess it. So I'm going to read the wider quotation now. How do we pass on the encounter with the living God? I would simply say no one can give what he does not personally possess. In other words, we cannot pass on the Holy Spirit effectively or make him perceptible to others unless we ourselves are close to him. This is why I think that the most important thing is that we ourselves remain, so to speak, within the radius of the Spirit's breath in contact with him. Only if we are continually touched within by the Holy Spirit, if he dwells within us, will it be possible for us to pass him on to others. Let me just reiterate what he is saying. Mom and dad, driving your kids to CCD is not enough in today's world. The CCD teacher must possess what he or she wants to pass on to your children. And it's not up to the CCD teacher. They are secondary. Primary focus of passing on the faith is mom and dad. And only if you are touched by the Holy Spirit and in continual contact with him, will it be possible for you to pass him on to others? And again, there's not a CD, a broadcast, a YouTube broadcast, a seminar, a book uh, that is going to stand up to the secular culture. But God himself, and that's what the Holy Spirit is. Christ came, provided us an access back to Heavenly Father. The Father gives us the promise of his Spirit in that we might have life within us, a firsthand contact with life within us. Pope Benedict goes on, we can say, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is the breath of Jesus, and we, in a certain sense, must ask Christ to breathe on us always so that his breath will become alive and strong and work upon the world and our kids and our grandkids. Now, it's very interesting I'm sure there's only one fraction of 1% of the listeners of this broadcast that don't know how to pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Yet the context of the Our Father comes to us in a little different form in the Gospel of Luke, which is very interesting because Luke seems to have a special emphasis on the Holy Spirit that really stands out in both his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles, of which he's the author as well. And in Luke chapter 11, it says Jesus was one day just praying in a certain place. And the disciples realize, hey, something's going on here. So they approach him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, so this is the context, and I know you know the Our Father, okay, 
but maybe we should go back to the school of Jesus and pretend we're just like firsthand and coming up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. So he starts off with, as you might imagine, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, give us this day our daily bread. And he completes the Our Father, but he doesn't stop there. And this is the important point. Starting in verse 5, he tells the story of a man who has a friend and he needs bread and he goes to his friend at night for his guests and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And his friend's inside his home. He's all comfortable in bed. And this guy's knocking on the doors saying, give me three loaves of bread. And he's basically thinking to himself, get lost. But the man is persistent in his midnight request. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And Jesus says, not because he was uh, overly attentive, but because of this man's boldness and persistence, this man gets up and gives him three loaves of bread. Now, this might be really striking, but this is a part of Jesus's school of prayer. This is the very context. The disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, the Our Father, and then he tells about this guy who just doesn't give it up because he needs his bread. And then when he gets done, Jesus goes back and says, and so, after this story, I say to you, and I'm repeating the words of Jesus to you listening to this broadcast. Jesus says, ask and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. And knock, the door will be open to you. Now, I need to tell you that in the Greek New Testament, these verbs are in the imperative, which means they're a command. And it's a present active imperative. So it would go something like this. I command you to continually, repeatedly, persistently, and boldly keep on asking. Do you get it? Continually and persistently be seeking nonstop, and you will find. And knocking nonstop at the door with boldness and persistence, and the door will be open to you. See, it doesn't say just ask and forget it. It seems this is the school of Jesus's prayer. And then Jesus takes it a step further. For anyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Just like the story he told about the guy who needs bread at midnight, okay? And then he goes on to say something in the next three verses that are key, that ties in exactly with what Pope Benedict said. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? In other words, you know, your child needs a glass of water at night, you give it to him and needs Cheerios, you make him a bowl of Cheerios. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Do you see the whole point here of Jesus' school of prayer? You pray the Our Father, but that's like one-third of Jesus' school of prayer. There's a certain persistence that he has in this little story about the man having to wake up his friend at midnight, even if he didn't want to get out of bread and share the bread with them, he keeps it up. And then a command. This is a command from God, a present active indicative, a continual command to keep at it, ask, seek, knock, and what do you get? The Holy Spirit. St. Benedict, I'm, I'm a little early on that one. Pope Benedict said, only if we are continually touched within by the Holy Spirit if he dwells within us, will, be it, will it be possible for us to pass him on to others, including your own children? Hear me. And this doesn't cost anything. There's no expensive gizmo or product. This is God himself, and God himself is quite capable of reaching your children through you. And the first step just like the seminarian asked Pope Benedict, the same way he would say to mom and dad, be close to the Holy Spirit. And I know there's a lot of people right now thinking of moving to different places in the, of the country and stuff. Well, you should be asking yourself, where's the fire burning? You're choosing a parish, a school for your kids, a camp or a college. Ask yourself, where's the fire burning. And let me strongly emphasize that you really need to recognize where the fire is burning. Americans, unfortunately, go for sparklers like on the 4th of July instead of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that's a little strong, but the work of Holy Spirit being alive with the Holy Spirit, Americans sometimes think it's a lot of emotional fizz or drama or loud excitement. It, that's the media culture. And this is why people miss Pope Benedict, because you can be a quiet introvert and have the blazing fires of the Holy Spirit going. So what you want to do as a parent, choosing a school, a parish, a place to live, or what, look where that fire is burning deep within a heart, and that can be conveyed to you, and you can convey it to your children. And I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 393 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.